TBA 21 Academy Radio. You're listening to the second season of Nautilus, stories from an urban lagoon in the 21st century, a podcast produced by Ocean Space Venice. And welcome back and welcome aboard Nautilus, stories, reflection notes and themes for Rethinking Venice today by Enrico Bettinello and Alice Ongaro Sartori who will take you to explore science, stories, projects, humanity, that day after day, even in these months that have revealed the continuing social and economic contradictions of the city, try to reposition the gaze and the action. This episode is entitled Deconstructing Venice, a reflection from the outside, and we are going to present a very special collaboration with Abiba Koulibaly and Ella Navot, who have designed and wrote the final episode of the second season of Nautilus. Abiba Koulibaly and Ella Navot were two fellows of the program of Ocean Fellowship 2021. Promoted by TBA21 Academy, the Ocean Fellowship is a found research opportunity held at Ocean Space in Venice. The fellowship annually supports participants to work at novel knowledge and practice intersections on and with the oceans in a time of climate and ecological emergency. That's why uh, Alicia and I are uh, talking in English. That is something that maybe for our listener is quite, is, new. Uh, is quite <laughs> new. And I hope it will be even interesting uh, uh, as well. And uh, we have here Abiba and Ella. Welcome on board, Abiba and Ella. Ella Navot is a visual anthropologist based in Tel Aviv, developing a practice around questions of politics and poetics of space. While Abiba is a geographer from London with an interest in the intersection of ethics and aesthetics. Welcome on board, girls, and uh, I will try to start with Abiba. Abiba, uh, welcome on board, and according to your perspective, how is Venice perceived from an external point of view? Um, I think Venice is a construct in the all kinds of definitions and, and meanings of the word. If you think about in its literal sense a construction um is something that's been built or made and this is like a really interesting lens through which to view venice because the physical city is really rooted in artificiality if you think of all, all the different bridges all the tiny islands all the even the stakes um in between the sea and the ground that actually form the foundations of the, the land the islands are that are made up that make up venice are not Um, an area that was just settled on but kind of purposely constructed um, part of an extractive process fashioned from elements that were imported from all the surrounding environments but I also think if we um, expand our interpretation of the word construction and think of it in a less literal sense as an idea or an imaginary situation or even the product of an ideology or social circumstances. It provides a means um, through which to explore the less material frameworks of the city, which 
often intersect with the more obvious concrete ones that I just mentioned, those of the built environment. It's a place that some of us like Ella and myself last year were lucky enough to experience and, and visit, but I think almost everyone can imagine it. It's such an evocative place um, and it's just been shown to the general public through so many different cultural depictions from Thomas Mann's novel Death in Venice to Shakespeare's recurring use of the city that like for me was my personal first introduction um, to the paintings of Canaletto. All of these different forces contend um, with the concrete constructions of the city to create a space that I think feels both like a fantasy and a reality, sometimes merged into one. Um, and while I know this is something that Ella and I were both really interested whilst we were there, whilst it is a city that has all these romantic connotations and it's uh, associated with leisure and beauty, the, the constructions of and around the city are also often kind of intersecting with violence and uh, discrimination and alienation. And that was something that we were really interested in um, exploring a bit, both during our time there and when we were thinking about how this episode would unfold. And Ella, how was uh, for you, uh, your experience, your perspective of Venice uh, as a foreigner uh, once you arrived here? So as Abiba was mentioning, um, of course, there is the sense of um, amazement and this lucky, um, being so grateful to be in the city and feeling very lucky, but at the same time, a sense of discomfort um, with, our, with our, with my position in the city. Um, and the first aspect of it, in a way, is this um, relation of the city into uh, a time, a, a different temporality, uh, which expresses itself with no cars around and the time moves slowlier. Um, also, the aspect of uh, the lack of diversity in the city that we both felt. Um, so somehow the the... the correlation between time and space that is experienced in the city um, that's very easy to think of when people say like Venice is stuck in time and or it's a place that um, takes you in a different time so this kind of um, dubious uh, correlation between time and space is is deceiving because it is actually you know a, a place that is uh, happening and it has its own um, um, contemporary, issues and, and reality, uh, which maybe through the facade and the romantic and um, aspects of it are um, hard to see, are hard to uncover uh, the shifts and the frictions within it. It's really interesting what you and Abiba um, explained, because also uh, me and Enrico with Nautilus and through the stories of our guests throughout the different episodes there is always this emerging of the Venice that is this image of a somehow a romanticized postcard and um, uh, what what Venice is actually is from the inside with these uh, contradictions um, that uh, you you mentioned but going further a little bit can you give us uh, some examples for example of uh, contradictions um, that you kind of um, observed uh, coming from the outside that could maybe be interesting to point out since from the inside sometimes we don't see them so much. So I think one of one of them um, is actually expressed in this uh, diversity or who who is visible or not visible in the city and 
uh, on the one hand, it's there's this um, range of, of people who are um, present in the city and it's hard to not confuse those social ethnic or social position with the visibly appearing position. So there are tourists that are the international, uh, mostly uh, Western and East Asian, and then remaining locals that are Italians. Um, the Bangladeshi workers that work behind the souvenir stands or selling roses. And you can see then um, Chinese souvenir shops and uh, North and West African porters at a train station. So there is this um, feeling as if the each, each social position has a place in the city, uh, geographically even. Um, and this superficial impression, which is only by vision, is is rest is restricting. On the one hand, um, you can experience the the city um, from an external eyes and as a tourist and and feel like um and and i mean just when you go deeper and you speak to people and um read a bit more and like we were doing so um the the reality is more complex than that superficial impression that often one have in within a city that is new to them so the um, i think what's important or interesting in this um and really is a, is a good example, at least for me for a moment that was shifting my, um, my way of, of perceiving Venice and I think is important to share as well, is, um, is the, the, the visibility of difference that is also preserved with the separation of the mainland and the island. So Venice, as also Biba was mentioning, is, is a construct and it's constructed as a place with hard borders and those borders are actually water but um, it it keeps the this kind of illusion that it is a separated territory um, and this is the historical Venice the Serenissima that is uh, in in no relation to the other um, area of, of which actually consists Venice as a as a commune which is the island, the Esturio uh, and the Terraferma, I hope I'm saying it right, which are heavily connected to one another, not only in, in politics, um, in history, you know, but in, um, for example, Mestre and Marghera and their interconnectivity to the island through the mobility of people who work in either and live in the other because of the high um, prices of living and because of the processes um, of of gentrification and of and the mass tourism that I'm sure were discussed in those uh, in this uh, podcast as well, um, but also the, the movement and mobility within those places of materials and objects and and pollution from Marghera influencing the lagoon and uh, the different routes of the big boats. So thinking from um, maybe in a way taking a taking yourself a bit outside of, of the island and looking at Venice uh, from different way allows this to, to look at these connections between, between those places and not see Venice as this construct, um, island, postcards, dot, dot, dot. Ella, is there a special place in Venice that intrigued you or that was particularly interesting for you? Um, at times I 
I felt uh, in Venice like a, a guest in someone else's extra extraordinary heritage. Um, so I was feeling very lucky and privileged to be uh, having a temporary part uh, in that, but also at times alienated and estranged um, from feeling like I don't have the knowledge um, to possess in order to appreciate it, not in a purely aesthetically way. Um, and I'm speaking of, of the Christian symbols all around and iconography mm. and um, the knowledge of art history that I don't have maybe to appreciate the, some uh, monuments and places in the city. And I really found um, uh, comfort in the Hebrew signs of the Jewish ghetto um, and hanging out there. And that was enabling me to develop, a, a, in a way, a, a intimate uh, relationship, another form of intimate relationship with the city, uh, like feeling that it's a part of my story as well. It's very strange to to have this feeling because it's it's um, yeah, I come from Israel and I'm Jewish, so it's very obvious to me to be to be having this uh, identity. Uh, but uh, when I'm outside um, of my country and when this meets the, the identity of of a place that is not familiar to me that creates a, a different sense of belonging and the the history of the Jewish ghetto in particularly is really interesting I learned that it was the first uh, ghetto and built in 1516 uh, to exclude Jewish from Jewish people from integrating with the general population um, and the way that it was uh, constructed which was to manage population and to exclude them is still visible today from the synagogues that are present there and um, the fact that the highest buildings in Venice are um, are there. Um, so I think that's a that's an interesting way of um, of visibly and um, into uh, built environment seeing exclusion. Five years ago, there was also the 500th anniversary of the birth of the Jewish ghetto, uh, Ella. Right. And I, I found really interesting the way that the big celebration of the, that 500 numbers um, was an attempt, according to, to Shaul Basi, um, an attempt to change the narrative of the ghetto as well. And I think it goes to show also how um, a place is also uh, a story and you can construct and deconstruct a place and through its story and vice versa. What he, what he writes is that over the centuries, it, it became the ghetto, a place of cultural interchange, um, a closed and reassuring enclave, a poor and neglected slum before its transformation today. Um, which, which is a sea of, of contradiction uh, into a religious and touristic destinations. And um, there are hundreds and, and stories that can be told through uh, the ghetto and the, the visitors who come um, and their pre-assumptions of what it is and what st story can be told through it. The Jewish ghetto is is holds a lot of stories and it can be told its story can be told in many different ways in the book the ghetto inside out by shaul bassi and isabella di leonardo they argue that the this small area contains large lessons for the contemporary world uh, that emerge from 
from an ex excavation of the past of the Jewish ghetto with a critical examination of its present. And um, referring to the built environment, he's saying other parts of the city can inspire mute admiration. And these um, campi, the, the campus of the ghetto, actually offer um, little in the way of beautiful facades, but they prompt uh, meditation and inquiry and raise issues of global rele relevance. And I'm, I'm quoting from the book and they ask, what do we mean exactly by a ghetto? Who are the Jews and what were their role? And more generally, can people from different religions and cultures live together amicably in the same city, community, society, or state? Um, all of these questions can be um, thought from, from this place. Um, its history and its contemporary reality. And uh, for you, Abiba, is there any specific place in Venice that holds a complex and dense overlapping of perception and images of what uh, Venice is or might be? Uh, yeah, there are, there are many. Um, and I guess we started off talking about how people have these ideas of Venice and, and they kind of fantasize about Venice. Um, but I think... In many ways, it's also important to remember that Venice holds its own fantasies of other people and other cultures. Um, and whilst we were kind of like researching for this and thinking about this, um, I kept on referring back to Edward Said's text, Orientalism. And I, I think Venice is a really, like Orientalism kind of um, puts a very clear binary between the Occident or the West and the Orient. But Venice is such an interesting place for me because it's, particularly due to its trading history, it's really on the cusp of, of these two um, regions and its proximity to the Orient is one of the things that allows it to be so kind of fantasized about and romanticized, but it's also um, put it in uh, contact with time and time again through, throughout history with other cultures. And because it's also a kind of center of artistic creation, this often manifests through art or infrastructure and like Ella was talking about um, the ghetto as, as one of the the um, arenas in which this is manifested but for me something another place in which you see Venice's depictions of other people and other cultures is the black and more um, furniture and statues and interior decor that you find all over the city I mean there are so many examples but the um, the most striking one for me are the statues when you enter the Basilica dei Frari. Um, there is a monument to Giovanni Pizzaro, I hope I pronounce it right, um, who was one of the dojos of, of Venice. Um, and he sits right at the top, but kind of holding him up are these incredibly um, imposing, striking figures who are supposed to represent Moors. Um, and that they are like, extremely kind of muscular and, and brutish and it's this real caricature of, of like a otherized physical strength I guess um and although they're strong they're kind of in contrast with I think European ideals of whilst the um they're the more but also the African because I'll talk about it later but they um kind of correlate a lot with African features or ideas of what African people look like whilst they're presented as, as physically strong, they're kind of um, contrasted with the intellectual strength of Westerners because what they're actually holding up are um, these embodiments of the virtues of things like nobility um, and intelligence. 
And there's this um, one book I love by a sociologist called Mimi Scheller, and it's called Mobility Justice. And there's one particular quote that I think really um, kind of opens up so many interesting thoughts in relation to these black and modern uses. Mobility regimes often take a material form built into the very infrastructure of cities and streetscapes. So um, by mobility regimes, she's talking about the kind of policies um, that we have in relation to immigration and who's coming into a country and how they manifest in the built environment. And I think a kind of obvious example is a wall. That's a very physical border, but um, the kind of decorative aspects of a city, or I, quote, I would say, quote, decorative aspects also um, embody this. And what I think of the, how the Black and Moor statues relate to this is they're physically immobilized. Like the thing that they're holding up means that they cannot move. And, and they were created in the 1600s, I believe, but it kind of echoes to me in many ways how parts of Italy or the wider Mediterranean's foreign policy would also like to see foreigners immobilized, unable to move, unable to make these journeys um, to, to the shores of Southern Italy and the Southern Mediterranean region. Um, and I, I think it's like important to contextualize and, and maybe go into a bit more to the history of these moors. So they're uh, supposed to represent the Ottomans or Turkish people because Venice um, had continually had a relationship with the Ottoman Empire. But in terms of their um, physical appearance, that they're made from very dark materials um, and the kind of physical features that they have much more resemble people from sub-Saharan Africa. And for me, it was extremely interesting that there was this kind of conflation of um, people who are Muslim and people who are Black. And again, this really spoke to kind of more modern day immigration policy to me, because I think who even though this was made in the 1600s or the, yeah, the 1600s, if you think about today, who was kind of painted as like, um, like I guess, bogey men in the European imagination of who is coming in and quote unquote, invading our shores, it is these two groups, it is black people and also Muslim people. And kind of to bring it back to the modern day, when I was looking at these statues, one thing I was wondering is like, why is there no contextualization? Because often um, in the UK, if we had anything kind of that was similarly problematic, there would be a plaque or some kind of explanatory text to just historicize that moment and explain why it was there. And I was looking around the church um, trying to find something that might explain it and I saw just at the bottom there were some leaflets that had black people and I was like oh this must be at somebody's like maybe a research student or somebody that works in the church has like written the text to explain you know this is how Venice used to view people but we realize that today like this is no longer kind of appropriate um and I picked it up and it had about 12 African children with their hands outstretched and it turned out it was a missionary leaflet um kind of like asking for money for these foreign missions um portraying people from sub-Saharan Africa in a very kind of needy and infantile way I guess and it made me think looking at this massive monument from the 1600s and this missionary leaflet that was clearly produced really recently, how, how much are um, representations kind of changing? And this is why I think it's really, really important to think about who is designing things, who is making things from, from these printed leaflets to architecture, to infrastructure, um, to art, who's involved in these 
processes. And this is one of the reasons that we were really, really keen um, to introduce, excuse me, we were really keen to interview Malai because um, he's taken this traditional historic Venetian art form. And I think always, if you have a diversity of people um, included in the making of something, of course, that's going to going to benefit it. And I just wanted to ask who is constructing as people who um, are involved in the construction of heritage actually hold a great deal of power, but also bias and political implication, um, even at the kind of subtlest level. So I, I, this is kind of why we were interested in, in interviewing Malai. So thank you so much, Aviva and Ella, for sharing uh, with us uh, uh, your perspectives about Venice and remembering how it is uh, how is important to deconstruct Venice and to reflect upon these uh, different images that the city uh, provides. Thank you, thank you, Ella, and thank you, Aviva. Thank you, thank you so much. We met Moulin Yang, a Senegalese-born glassmaker, sitting in his studio in Campo della Bragola. Behind him, a map of Africa. In front, the clutter of an artisan desk, where people entering the store from the street can see him at work. We spoke to Moulin about his journey and experiences of entering the city and mastering one of the city's most emblematic crafts, glassmaking. We hope to take you, the listener, on an exploration that uncovers an experience of an immigrant in Venice, someone who decided, or it was decided upon him, to have Venice as a part of its story and suggest another way of seeing it, a story of determination, resource, resourcefulness, and intercontinental connections. The conversation was recorded during uh, St. Martino, the, the holiday when local kids were knocking at the, his door asking for treats in such a contrast to what he was then describing um, that he was experiencing while just arriving to the city. The voices you will hear now are of Alice, his partner, and Alice, your podcast host as well. Take time so you can listen with patience. Sono Mulai Muranero. Muranero e il nero di Murano. <laughs> I am Mulai, and also called Muranero. And uh, Muraneno, it means the black of Murano, because in, in Italian, uh, Muranero, it's composed from Murano, that is the island, and uh, Nero, that is black. Mm-hmm. So, Dili, così perché i miei amici mi prendevano in giro quando andavo a scuola. Yes, because mm-hmm. eh, anche i tuoi colleghi, giusto? Colleghi, amici, my... no, soprattutto i miei amici di qua, da Venezia, okay, non là. because my Venetian friends uh, used to, like, hitting me with this name because it's yeah, and say, it's born like this i say i like it. <laughs> i come here yeah for the with the school i see venice i say okay this is a place this is perfect for me it's not the big city it's not the campagna mm-hmm. it's in the middle and the life goes slowly here mm-hmm. like the evaporator rhythm gondola rhythm <laughs> and my mind go like this mm-hmm and is 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 a best place for the artist artisan you do slowly everything you do you do well also venezia mi piace 
non è stato facile. Uh -huh. Two years, I go to Murano. If somebody open open the door and see me, get out here, boom. And I, you, you I try. try again. My philosophy is a old African philosophy, an university of um, Timbuktu. They say if you need something, you can come and see Busare. Knock. Three times. Mm. The same door. Three times. I make a tour, oh, yeah. all the factories, mm -hmm. and in two years I make a completely tour, <laughs> nothing, zero. Mm -hmm. And the last day, I say, okay, I go, today is my last day, I remember, it's a Monday morning, mm -hmm. I go there, I make a tour until three o'clock, I eat there, I go, and I, I know uh, Perla. Perla, like this. Her name is Perla. Uh -huh. And they introduced me to the Murano reality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, a lot of the Pino Signoretto, the same day, Pino Signoretto mm -hmm. opened for me, Davide Salvadore, Laura. Tutto si è aperto in un giorno. Yes, at the end. La mia vita ha cominciato con <laughs> il vetro. And yes, and he, my life is started with a glass. <laughs> For four years, every day. It's beautiful. Yes, I arrive here, I find a, a room mm -hmm. to the student house, mm -hmm. I find a job. I'm a guerriero, you <laughs> I'm a warrior. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I, my first job is a cleaning to the bathroom public. Mm -hmm. I work there and I go in the school. And if I finish, I have a big family, 10 students, <laughs> fantastic. I remember, the, it's nice, nice moment. Dili, par exemple, avevano un frigo. Yes. E dentro il frigo c'erano i nomi. Ognuno metteva il suo nome e metteva il suo cibo. Yes, they, the, yes, they used to have the fridge, and inside the fridge they put the, the, the name. So each person had his own stuff and, and Sì, food. allora le ho detto, lasciatemi organizzare questo, mm. perché io vengo di una famiglia di 10 persone. Mm. He said, okay, just let, 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 let me manage it, because I, can, I, I come from a family of 10 persons, so okay. let, let me do allora, quando pulivo i bagni, mm -hmm. mi davano le, le mance. <laughs> when, when I used to clean the, the bathroom, the public bathroom, they, they gave me the, the tips. E con questo facevo le spese per tutti. And, and with that tips, I used to, to, do the, uh, to, to go to the supermarket for, mm. for all, the, all the students. Mm. Yeah. E le ho, le ho colonizzati. I have colonized them. <laughs> sì, perché gli piaceva il cibo africano. <laughs> they, yes, they fell in love with Riso, food. couscous, sugo con pesce, sugo con carne, sugo con verdure. C'era sempre da mangiare. Mm. E tutti andavano d'accordo. Yes, all the, yes, all the specialties yeah. of, uh, yes, of the African... Sì, questo è il, è il primo momento. E poi, e poi dopo ho cercato di conoscere i vicini. Okay. Yes, then I, I try to, to meet the, the neighborhood. Ho messo il, il, il mio biglietto 
dappertutto con il mm-hmm. numero di telefono. Pensavano che sono smartphone. <laughs> Because I, yes, I, <laughs> I, I put, uh, I gave my visit card in, in, on each door. So I, tutta, la, tutta la calle di lì, tutti. All the, all the, the street here, all the area here, all the sì. calle. E le ho detto, dovete sapere che l'uomo nero è arrivato. <laughs> you have to know that the black man is arrived. He's here. <laughs> He's here, yes. Così di notte, se vedono un nero nel buio, non prendono paura, so, sono io. So, <laughs> you, you, yes, <laughs> la traducito da So you, you know the black man has arrived, so in case you see a black man in, in the darkness, yes. at night, you're not scared of him. Exactly. Mm-hmm. E le ho detto, my name is Mulai. Mm-hmm. E sono qui per tanti anni con voi. Mm-hmm. I will be here for many years with you. Eh, qui mi piace. Eccomi qua. Mm-hmm. Here I am. Eh, da noi si dice, tutti quelli che dormono, Sotto mm-hmm. lo stesso tetto mm-hmm. rappresentano una famiglia, no? Come in questa casa qua. Ok. Vero? Sì. E per me la casa, è il tetto è il, è il cielo. Quindi siamo tutti sotto lo stesso tetto. Da dove vengo, dicono che le persone che vivono sotto lo stesso roof sono femminili. And for me, uh, we are under the same roof because the roof is the sky. So we are uh, huge family. Exactly. Bello. Non è stato facile perché nessun africano prima di me ha integrato Murano. It was not easy because before me, uh, no, no person coming from Afri- Africa was able to, to be integrated in, in that specific community. E gli dici che io sono stato cresciuto dal mio nonno. He grew up with his grandfather. E mio nonno diceva, se vuoi qualcosa fuori, lascia l'orgoglio a casa. And he used to tell him, if you want something, remember to leave your pride at home. Però questo non significa lasciare l'altro controllare le tue emozioni. But this doesn't mean that you have, that you that you have to let the other person controlling uh, your emotions. Quindi per questo quando andavo a Murano dicevano molte cose brutte ma io non li sentivo. And so when I used to go to Murano the first times people used to tell me bad things but I decided not to listen to them. Sì, perché anche il trattamento, no? ti trattavano male, ma questo era già previsto perché dili che ho letto due libri su Venezia e Murano per capire un po' la storia, no? quando vuoi vivere qui devi conoscere un po'. Allora la mia prima azione che ho fatto appena arrivato è cercare i libri per capire la città dalla Serenissima fino adesso, così hai un'idea di come si comportano. Dopo ti faccio una domanda, but mm-hmm. I translate this. Uh, so he said, the way they treated me was really bad, but at the same time I tried to prepare myself before, because if you want to arrive in a new city, you have to study and research about that city. And I was reading a lot of books about Venice, about the Serenissima, to um, understand the context where I was going to. Mm-hmm. 
cioè, sai che la persona di lì va per evoluzione dall'inizio eh, a Murano le ho detto non voglio essere amato ma rispettato a chi hai detto questo? tutta a la tutti. fabbrica uh -huh. primo giorno uh -huh. le ho detto a tutti voi non siamo parenti, non siamo amici uh -huh. io sono qui perché ho bisogno di voi uh -huh. però vi chiedo di rispettarmi non voglio altro So the first thing that he said uh, to people in Murano was uh, I don't need to be loved, I need to be respected. So I need your help, but also I need you to respect me, first of all. E le ho un po' scioccati anche. And they were shocked a bit. Sì, perché le ho detto che sapete da noi cosa significa il bianco, il distruttore. Because he asked them, do you know what uh, the white means uh, uh, in Senegal? If you say the white person in Senegal, in Senegal it means the destructor. The, yeah, destructor, sì, sì. yes. Sì. E, 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 e non era la notizia. And, and this was not the bad thing. The bad thing is that he believes it's true. Yes, questo è. E se volete una spiegazione, cominciate dalla guerra di Troia fino alla seconda guerra mondiale e ditemi chi ha fatto tutto questo. 600 milioni di persone sono morti nelle mani dei occidentali. E se volete provare su questo, dovete tornare alla guerra di Troia fino alla seconda guerra mondiale e capite che tutte queste morti sono fatte per causa del western. Uh, person. Io ho detto, ok, allora quando un popolo ha commesso un crimine così gigante, fate il conto cosa mi posso aspettare da voi. So he said, if, if a, a population, if a culture committed such an enormous crime, uh, you, you will understand why I think so. E poi di lì che mio padre era un orafo. E mio padre usava anche le perle, anche di, di Murano. Ah. Mio padre usava, faceva delle colane di oro, ah. combinati anche con delle perle che venivano da Murano. Ah, wow. Quindi, Quindi come... io sono nato con una connessione diretta con, 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 no, con le perle, direi, in generale. Sì. sì, perché Murano non sapevo che quelle perle venivano da Murano. Certo. L'ho saputo quando sono arrivato qua, le ho visti c'è la rosetta, i mille fiori, tutte queste perle, io sono nato vedendoli, ma non sapevo da dove arrivavano. Quando le ho visti qua, ho letto un po' su Murano, ho detto, ah, ok, okay. c'è una connessione tra me e le perle. Mulai's father was a goldmaker, and he used to use in the goldmaking process also Murano glass pearls. At that time, And Murai didn't know these were coming from Murano, but when he came here, he realized from the kinds of, of, of glass and pearls that he was studying and getting to know, that these glass and these pearls were already in his house and in his father's workshop. Okay. So he says, always being bound and connected to, 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 to Murano and Venice and pearls.
L'integrazione non esiste e no, non esiste neanche la discriminazione. Alla posto, al posto della discriminazione io metto ignoranza, mm -hmm. semplicemente, e al posto dell'integrazione metto interazione, perché io sono arrivato qui con un bagaglio culturale. Mm -hmm. Spiegali un po'. Um, Shaul Bassi, uh, professor Shaul, invited uh, Mulai to um, uh, like explain this concept to a classroom of 200 students that for for him discrimination and integration don't exist because discrimination is a is a word that he can substitute with ignorance and integration is a word that you can substitute with interaction and when he come he, when he came here he came with the cultural baggage ready to interact with the with the place mm. sì e lui ha spiegato questo perché interazione va da sé tutti amici miei che sono qua molti sono dell'america certi della svizzera certi arrivano dall'australia molta gente di vari paesi ma molti di loro non sono comunitari nel senso che non fanno parte della comunità europea e nessuno li ha mai chiesti se ci si sono integrati. Cosa significa? Anche i cinesi non li chiedono. Mm -hmm. Significa che l'integrazione, quella parola, è stato rapito e plasmato dall'occhio, perché riguarda solo la pelle dell'individuo. Mm, certo, sì, sì. Um, I translate. So, he said that he has uh, many friends, for example, Americans, Swiss, Australians, And um, to none of these people um, here, they were asked uh, by like, locals if they were integrated, uh, even though they're not part of the European community, no? Uh, the same, in the same way, like a person from Senegal is not from the European community. But the fact that the word integration it has been... Uh, um, polluted somehow by the by the vision by the eye because it's only related to the color of the skin mio ruolo è continuare la tradizione questo era il tesoro della serenissima durante la semiera serenissima spiegali che per uscire da Murano ci voleva un permesso speciale mm. per poter uscire solo. Oh. So my role is to keep this glass tradition going and uh, during the Republic of Serenissima uh, to, go, to be able to go out of Murano you needed a special permit. Perché a Murano quando sono arrivato tutto era un segreto, nascondevano ogni cosa. Because in Murano everything was a secret and they used to um, hide uh, treasures. E il libro che leggevo che mi, mi portava il professore credo che si chiamava Serenissima qualcosa così e 
spiegava questo che non potevano uscire dall'isola senza il permesso perché questo era, era il segreto che, che, che dava ricchezza anche alla città mm-hmm. quindi io le ho detto invece di tenerlo come no, cioè bisogna vivere eh, su epoca all'epoca ce l'avevate voi soli adesso ce l'hanno tutti il miglior modo di conservarlo è di condividerlo mm-hmm. quindi per quello l'insegno a tutti poiché questo lavoro non muore più ecco il mio punto di vista è un po' diverso dalla loro no? mm-hmm. um, so in this book he was reading um, there was, they were saying that uh, it was written that the, the technique of the, of the glass making in Murano was kept secret because it was like a real treasure but now the the knowledge of glass making is everywhere so he thinks that uh, what uh, people has have to do with this is to to share it yeah. bisogna conservarlo salvaguardarlo ma anche in africa anche in australia ho insegnato a gente da, da tutto il mondo mm-hmm. perché per me è questo conservare e mm-hmm. condividere for me to con, uh, conserve means to uh, to share e questa è la mia partecipazione per la città. And this is my role participation for the city. Sì. At the end of our conversation, Rilai presented as his symbol of chameleon. Instead of the common metaphor of someone who blends in and assimilates, for him it represents humility. He said the ability to take time and think before you act. Seven different angles to construct an argument. Getting to know different people, listening to their stories, sharing, looking differently from multiple angles opens up space from complexities and contradictions. Then we open to different interpretations we can, we can construct, maybe, which city we'd like to have. And thank you all for listening to TBA21 Academy Radio from Ocean Space, Venice for the second series of Nautilus, Stories from an Urban Lagoon in the 21st Century, a podcast curated by Enrico Bettinello and Alice Ungaro Sartori, with the collaboration of Enrico Coniglio for the music and Kinonauts for the audio editing. You can listen to the episodes of Nautilus on oceanarchive.org or follow us through SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. A warm greeting from Alice Ungaro Sartori and Enrico Bettinetti.